0: good morning good afternoon or good evening i don't know when you guys are listening to this podcast it's currently thursday december 10th and guess what we're embarking on another solo cast doug is down in florida enjoying the vacation some much deserved time off Evan has been watching Christmas lights for the past week, so couldn't count on him this week, but everyone's gearing up for the holidays. But before we truly get to celebrate the holidays, there's one more game this year for Virginia Tech. Will it end in despair? It's been a tough season, but it's rivalry week. There's one more chance to make something of the season, reclaim the Commonwealth Cup. I'll tell you about all the keys for Virginia Tech in this game against Virginia. We're going to dive into a little bit of Virginia Tech men's basketball. What's going wrong after a devastating home loss to Penn State? I'm going to touch a little bit on the Clemson game, not too much. I know the real reason everyone is here is because of the Commonwealth Cup. It is rivalry week. I don't care what happened this season. Get excited. This is a big game. Stakes are high. Whether you're listening at work, driving around, putting me on in the background while you do other medial tasks, doesn't matter. Sit back, relax, enjoy this commentary, and let's get started. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247Sports.com. Get out of here and get something cold to drink. <laughs> All right, let it rip. Let it rip. Let's go. Don't you just love that Mike Young intro? I think we can all agree everyone can get behind a little bit of Mike Young action. Let's talk about Virginia Tech. Since we last spoke about the basketball team, they narrowly beat VMI 64-57, to and most recently, when their ranking went up, their play went down. They lost 75-55 to 55 inside Castle Coliseum against Penn State. Guys, I don't know what's going wrong with Virginia Tech, but they've looked like a completely different team on home court. Against VMI, Virginia Tech shot 35%. They made 4 of 27 from deep. Three-point attempts were the do or die for Virginia Tech last year. And most of the guys on the roster were capable of hitting shots. Lean was 0 for seven against VMI. Kiva Luma took four three pointers. And to be fair to VMI, you know, they played a zone. They invited Virginia Tech to shoot. And Virginia Tech just couldn't do it. They couldn't convert. It's why the game looked so close. Eventually some adjustments were made, but You know, VMI hung around the entire game. This is a team that, you know, is somewhat struggling this year. This is a team that Virginia Tech, with their ranking, with what they showed in week one, should have been able to put away by at least 15 points. And yet, here we are talking about it, seven-point victory. The following week, move up one spot in the rankings and face Penn State. And I don't know what it is about Penn State, but every time these two teams match up in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, something goes wrong. And the last two games Virginia Tech has lost to Penn State, it's been close. We remember the Justin Robinson turnover late in the game uh, to lose by two points to Penn State. But this time around, it was just a tale of two different teams. Penn State came in with their star player, Seth Lundy, averaging 23 points per game. Spoiler, he scored zero points, and Penn State still won this game by 20. That is a bit concerning. Penn State shot 50% from the field, 12 out of 23, 52.2% from downtown. Virginia Tech, on the other hand, on their home court, once again struggled shooting 37% from the floor. Six for 22 from three, 27.3%. Ever since Virginia Tech has been ranked, coming back to Blacksburg, they've looked like a different team. When they were on the road, when they are in Connecticut, in Bubbleville, playing Villanova, USF, and Radford, they looked like a pretty formidable team, a team that could potentially push for the top standings in the ACC, a team that maybe we should shift expectations for for the tournament. When they came back to Blacksburg, teams adjusted. They started playing more zone against Virginia Tech, daring them to shoot three-pointers. Kiva Luma hasn't gotten the same looks, isolated looks, in the paint that he got the first three games of the year. So for Virginia Tech, it's You know, it's a bit concerning because now we're seeing teams adjusting. They maybe had one week of glory, but is that going to be it? I don't know. And to be fair, Virginia Tech had much more energy when they were playing in Connecticut. When they came back to Blacksburg, they kind of looked flat in every game. I noticed the biggest discrepancy between the two teams, especially in the Penn State game, was the amount of energy that Penn State had. They were on the road. They looked excited to welcome the opportunity to play the number 15 team, to play on someone's home court. They were fired up on both offense and defense, and that confidence translated into an unbelievable shooting night. For Virginia Tech, they looked flat. It's kind of like when you wake up and you roll out of bed, and all of a sudden you're walking five steps to work from your home office. Virginia Tech just didn't get that same sense of excitement from playing at home in these past two games. So I wonder, is this going to be something we see for home teams? This is where you practice. This is where you eat. This is where you're being coached. It almost feels like a practice environment. You're not getting fired up for a game. There are no fans in the stands. So Virginia Tech has definitely looked flat, and the worst fears of what we were saying came true. This is a team that now struggles to shoot the three-point ball and when Kiva Luma isn't carving out the paint in isolated situations it makes life a lot tougher for everyone else there's not the same lanes for guys to drive into they're more reluctant to do what they've been doing so well all year and that's points in the paint this is an entirely different built Virginia Tech team I do think they'll make adjustments I do think They'll be able to have more success m- moving forward. They cannot continue to shoot this poorly, especially at home. This is where you should be dominating. But look, you know, the season's still early. There's no reason to panic just yet. It was a devastating loss. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, that number 15 right next to Virginia Tech was probably the worst thing that happened all year once this team became ranked. They became complacent. Their play style has definitely decreased in all areas of the game. There's less energy. The team is shooting worse. And defensively, they don't look like the same formidable team. I think they'll reevaluate. They'll learn a lot of lessons from these past two games against VMI, which, to be fair, they did win, but especially against Penn State because I don't expect this team to lose by 20 to a lot of teams in this league. So we'll see what happens because I think there's a lot to be desired from this team. They've showed us the highs of highs. And remember, last year, Virginia Tech, once they knocked off number three, Michigan State, they went into a three game losing streak. Virginia Tech very well could have had a two game losing streak, you know, post Connecticut, post that USF game. So now it's time to try to build up this team and. You know, get the shooting back, get the legs back under some guys and reinvigorate that fire that carried them across the finish line against Villanova. Next game will be against Clemson, and that's going to be a tightly contested game. Basketball talk out of the way. Let's move on to some football. All right. I said I would talk about Clemson. We're going to talk about the Clemson game very briefly. I think there's a lot of takeaways from this game that we need to discuss if we'll see it on Saturday against Virginia. The first thing that jumps out in my mind is the adjustments the staff made to the offense in order to combat an explosive offense in that of the Clemson Tigers. What I mean by that is there was a completely different game plan for this Virginia Tech offense. It was very Liberty-esque. The huddle was different. There is Hendon Hooker, Braxton Burmeister, or Knox Kadom. I mean, granted, that tells you everything you need to know, really, about this game, that you had to play three quarterbacks and you only scored 10 points. But the way the offense was constructed was to drain each play to five seconds. I thought the play selection for the first two and 3 fourth quarters, sorry, that was hard to say, was good. I thought they were able to spread out the ball to their playmakers, get Khalil Herbert involved, and even score a touchdown, albeit it was Braxton Burmeister and not Henan Hooker, who struggled with the cold, apparently. Um, So I thought the game plan for the majority of this first half was good. I thought the way they did it was to limit the exposure of the Virginia Tech defense to Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. The defense did a remarkable job knowing that Clemson wasn't going to get as many snaps as they desired. This is a very explosive offense. You limit the time they're on the field. A lot of those explosive plays don't happen. The problem is between Hendon Hooker unable to stay in the game Going to Braxton Burmeister, who made a few mistakes, and also inevitably got replaced by Knox Kadum. You know, the entire second half was disastrous. There was early turnovers that kind of spun this game out of control. But I will say, throughout the majority of that first half, this game looked a lot closer than it was expected to be. The final score ended up to the result that everyone thought it was going to be. But for the most part, I thought the game plan was good. Now, the problem isn't the majority of the first half game plan. The problem is when Hendon Hooker goes out, Braxton Burmeister comes in. I understand he had that great drive linking up with Tavion Robinson, getting Khalil Herbert into the end zone untouched. That was great. But when you move from one quarterback to two quarterbacks to three quarterbacks, You mix in turnovers, you mix in sapping away all the confidence from your unit, because when you have a chance to put points on the board at the end of the first half and you elect to run the ball, and while Khalil Herbert made a great play to give Virginia Tech a chance at a Hail Mary at the very end, it should have never come down to that. It should have been aggressive from the start. And the problem with the staff has always been if there's going to be a fail attached to any play, it's always the safe option. And you cannot play safe against Clemson. That's not how you beat Clemson. Other teams have tried. Look, they failed. But at the end of the day, you got to know what you are and you got to take risks. You got to instill confidence in your guys. And going into the locker room with three timeouts and no points off that final drive was a killer. In addition to that, the game plan, good. The execution, bad. And the comfortability of this offense was even worse. And we saw that in the second half. There was no sustained drives. Besides for a 54-yard field goal for Brian Johnson, there was nothing else out of this Virginia Tech offense that said, you know what, they can carry this over into Virginia. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. In my opinion, the biggest thing for next week's game against Virginia will be some sort of offensive consistency. Will they return to this strategy, this liberty strategy of draining the play clock to five seconds, using that new huddle, Against a much less explosive offense in that of Virginia, or will they instead elect to go back to something which we last saw against Pittsburgh, where they only put up 14 points? The problem here is the ideas, they're okay, but the execution is terrible. In the last two games, Virginia Tech's offense has been able to muster up 24 total points, and that is not good enough. That combined result of the last two offensive outputs, which is 120 minutes of game, is not good enough for 60 minutes against Virginia. So something's got to change. Which way is it going to be? And I worry that after trying this experiment, going back to what you've done before, you're now one step behind. So it's going to be really interesting to see which offensive philosophy they take and if they'll be a bit more aggressive against a team that can't punish as hard as a Clemson. With that being said, let's jump right into the UVA-Virginia Rivalry Week Commonwealth Cup fixture coming up this weekend. So let's talk about UVA. And I mean, what a stark difference between two programs. You talk about Justin Fuente starting hot, slowly going down, building back up again, sort of like a roller coaster till this season, one of the worst seasons in 30 years. The only other one was two years ago. Virginia Tech has now lost four games in a row. Their last win, Halloween against Louisville. Whereas Virginia has had a steady climb culminating in last year's ACC championship appearance. Virginia has won their last 4 games. After starting the season 1 and 4, they are now 5 and 4 and it looks like the winner of this game is going to a bowl. I don't know if bowl seasons happening with COVID and all that, but you know, as things stand, the way they're evaluating bowl games this year, it looks like the winner of this will get an appearance in the Military Bowl. We'll see if that happens. More on Virginia, especially their offense, centered around their quarterback play. Brennan Armstrong taking over for Bryce Perkins, who last year had 470 total yards out of just shy of 500 yards. He did 99% of the damage last year. I think every Virginia Tech fan that watched that game, you can applaud the performance of Bryce Perkins and understand he was that ticket to win that game. Brennan Armstrong. Has similar responsibilities, but is not the same type of player. He's not the same type of athlete in the open field. He's a lefty, rugged, strong quarterback that's able to adjust under pressure. I think what makes him dangerous is he's clearly gotten better as the season has progressed. Nearly 1900 yards, 60% completion percentage, 21 total touchdowns, nine interceptions. He's a guy that leads the team in rushing. And When you look at Brennan Armstrong, nothing he does jumps out the page. But as Justin Fuente said, he's kind of like a Taysom Hill. He does a lot of little things at a very solid level, I would say. He's a very solid quarterback. He's nothing special, but he can get the job done, and he's being counted on in the same role as Bryce Perkins. The guys around him, Wayne Taluapapa, 86 carries, 387 yards, not having a good year, four point five yards per carry, five touchdowns, more of the goal line bruiser back. He's not gonna shock you in the open field. Backup quarterback slash running back slash wide receiver. Keonton Thompson. He's a guy that they'll motion out from wide receiver. He could take direct snaps. He's kind of like the wild card of this offense. It's a very multiple offense. And then you look at the receivers. Billy Kemp, listed as a running back, more like a slot guy, has 58 receptions, which leads the team by more than 20 receptions. He's a guy they like to target on short yardage. They have a guy named Lavelle Davis, who's six foot seven at wide receiver. Everyone talks about him because he's averaging 25.9 yards per catch, although It's boosted by the fact that he had a 90-yard touchdown reception. He does have five touchdowns, obviously, at that height. He's a guy that you want to watch out for in the red zone, but he's not a guy that gets targeted a ton. Then there's Terrell Janna. A lot of guys will remember him from last year. Kind of a solid do-it-all type of wide receiver. Tony Poljan, their tight end, who gets targeted 33 times. Between Kemp, Janna, and Poljan, you'll see the most of the action in the passing game for Brennan Armstrong. Nothing about those three players will shock you. They're all intermediate routes to short routes. Nothing about them is long. Lavelle Davis is an X-factor, and so is Thompson, who can line up all over the field. The way Virginia's offense works, they're very multiple. They give you a lot of different looks. They're not you know, leaning to one side, whether passing or running, I will say the one area to expose for Virginia Tech is keeping Brennan Armstrong in the pocket. Like I said, this isn't an explosive offense. It's about being methodical and driving down the field. They've seemingly abandoned their running game. Wayne Taluapa has had under 10 carries in the last two games. Their other running backs combined for nine carries last week against Boston College. So it's not a traditional run game. It's not a traditional play-action pass type of game where Brandon Armstrong is lining up under center, showing a fake to the running back and then throwing down the field. This is an offense that tries to give you the gimmicks before the snap, and they they give the option for Brandon Armstrong to either look to multiple reads or tuck it and run. That's pretty much their run game right there. They'll have quarterback powers like we've seen out of Hendon Hooker. But for the most part, this is an offense that looks confusing when you watch them pre-snap. But as the snap goes on, if you are sound in coverage, if you are composed and wait for the play to happen and keep contained, this offense doesn't offer a ton. They don't have the type of talent that even a Virginia Tech has on offense. But they make the most out of what they have by their coaching, by their trickery, by the way that they stay multiple, by shifting formations to give you different looks. So it's all about being sound in your assignments and making sure that you have a guy covered at all points. If Virginia Tech can do that, they'll be fine. This is still an offense that's going to put up points. They've clearly found a solution to do that in the last couple weeks. They're averaging 30 points a game scored. Over their four-game win streak, so whatever happened with Brendan Armstrong after his concussion, whatever happened after beating UNC, the offense has definitely figured it out. Moving on to the UVA defense, they're highlighted by their linebacker play, which has been stellar all year. Nick Jackson leads the team with 96 total tackles. He's kind of a reserve last year, but stepped into a bigger role. Zane Zandier, the neck roll guy wearing number zero. Everyone remembers him. 74 total tackles, 2.5 sacks. Their linebackers are the key to this defense. They play in, in a 3-4 formation, a 3-4 formation. What that means is they have three down linemen, four linebackers, and then they're secondary. The way they adjust is sometimes they'll bring five guys. If it's clearly going to be a passing situation, think third and long, there'll be five guys rushing or one guy dropping. They're very multiple on all stages of their football team. They like having options. Sometimes they even play two down linemen, a two, four, five sort of formation. So what I'm getting at here with three down linemen They rely on their nose tackle to really control the line of scrimmage, to control what will be Brock Hoffman in this game, but they're injured. Charles Snowden is out. Juwan Briggs opted out. There's multiple guys in the back end that have been hobbled, so we don't really know what we're going to see out of this Virginia defense because if they were at full capacity, they'd be a lot scarier, but as things stand right now, it's a bit different. Noah Taylor is another guy, linebacker, to watch out for. The way you attack this UVA defense, although they played Boston College and they didn't give up much yardage on the ground, it falls into Virginia Tech's strength, running the football. You have to be able to establish the run, bring guys to the second level, and address the linebackers for UVA. That is the key to this game. If Virginia Tech can play a similar type game, Against a similar type defense that we saw against NC State, they should be absolutely fine on the offensive side. I think when you look at this UVA defense, they're not the same as they were last year. They clearly have some talent, but at the same time, it they're hurt. These guys have opted out. They're a lot different. They're giving up a lot of yardage this year. It's a story of two defenses that give a lot, and it's going to be about who can make the stops at the end. All in all, Virginia's a very formidable opponent. This is going to be a very close game. It's always close when Virginia and Virginia Tech are playing in the Commonwealth Cup. I don't care what the talent is on both sides. We've seen multiple times, even when Virginia Tech clearly has a talent edge, the final score could be 10 0. I think in this game, Virginia's offense will be able to put up enough points. I think Virginia's defense. Could give up some plays here and there, but ultimately I think the entire game falls on this Virginia Tech offense. If they commit four turnovers, if they look how they did last week with multiple different looks, I don't know. I really don't. It's all about finding consistency. Christian darisaw is supposed to play. Silas DeZanzi is supposed to play. Zachariah Hoyt and Doug Nesser are all supposed to play. That's a big strength for Virginia Tech, running Khalil Herbert, running Jalen Holston, being able to find ways to keep Virginia's offense off the field. Whichever offense is able to control this game will ultimately end up winning. I don't think this is going to be a defensive battle by any means. And ultimately, I think it's going to be too close to call as things stand right now. I think it's going to be a very close, nerve-wracking game. I'm excited to see what happens. And we'll see if Virginia Tech can end off on a high note this year. If they'll make a bowl game, who knows? And to be quite honest with you guys, it's it's tough to say what's going to happen in this game, right? Because we've seen the peak of Virginia Tech so early on in this year, and they haven't been able to put it together since. And I think a lot of that confidence has kind of sapped out with all the talks about coaching changes with guys injured, such as Trey Turner, who knows if he'll be on the field, with playing three different quarterbacks against Clemson, you know, there's so many things that have happened that have caused inconsistency with this unit while Virginia surging. So early edge, I give it to Virginia, but we'll see what happens. This game always brings out the best in both teams. And quite honestly, I'm very excited for the season to end. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot to be desired out of this Virginia Tech football program. I'm excited to dive into the hypothetical, some of the stuff we've been hearing behind the scenes in future episodes, but for now, it's about the Commonwealth Cup. It's about the last guaranteed game of the season. We'll see what happens. We'll be here to discuss whatever happens. It's not the end of the world either way, but let's see what happens. It's going to be very interesting and stressful and all those other emotions tied into this game it's rivalry week try to enjoy the festivities try to enjoy your weekend no matter what and we'll catch up with you guys the next time we're on here hopefully it won't be a solo cast either just saying Closing time, open all the doors and let you out into the world. This is Tony Kornheiser Show. I'm Tony. What did you expect it someone else?